All right. Hello. Can everybody hear me? Yes. Can uh, can folks hear me? <laughs> I've had some problems with this uh, with this microphone before, so I just want to make sure. Um, it sounds like sounds like people can hear me. So uh, thank you for coming out uh, to talk about this. Uh, series uh, that I that I wrote um, on TK. It's called A Culture War in Four Acts. Uh, it's about Loudoun County, Virginia. And uh, originally, the genesis of the story was I was going to do just a simple campaign report about um, the Youngkin-McAuliffe race and went down there and started talking to people on election night. And I realized that Basically, everything that I'd read about the case uh, was wrong. And uh, there were also elements to the story that um, I thought would would uh, come out only in a kind of lengthy, uh, absurdist treatment of of the story. So that's that's um, that's really how it started. Uh, It ended up being a a lot of work and um, required talking to a lot of people and. Uh, I, I think it would actually make an interesting book if somebody were to write it someday because there's the, the characters are incredible. So, uh, without, without further ado, um, let's, uh, let's get started talking. And I know there's a bunch of people online, so, uh, waiting to talk to, so let's, let's start discussing it. Um, No. Kombucha. No. Guy. Hello. Saul, I think you need. I think you need to unmute Saul. Yep. So I'm unmuted. Uh, oh, there we go. Great. I, I just wanted to uh, wonder about, like, in terms of these like culture wars. This is not the first time we we've had it. Obviously, there was a civil war, and then there's there's been <laughs> like that's probably the, the worst uh, uh, type of culture war ever, uh, where the country is split in two and they go to war uh, with each other. But then you go through different periods like during the whole Vietnam War era, uh, there was this great uh, debate series during the election of Gore Vidal versus William Buckley. And just going through that period and and the schism that was clearly apparent, not only in the country, but even among students, uh, that whole period like that even led to like Kent State, et cetera. When I look at it from that historical backdrop, it doesn't seem to be as severe the culture wars as it was then, or or maybe hmm. uh, it's better documented now. And this one is still not documented, and you're you're documenting this. So, what, what do you think are the parallels w- between now and that that era? Uh, it's an interesting question because um, obviously it's roughly along the, the same lines. One one could say that it's 
conservatives versus liberals again, except that the there there are a couple of big differences, and I I would say that this is actually quite a serious situation. Um, the you know the the, the last scene where uh, you saw that the um, Sal, you might want to mute yourself if that if that's okay, or Sal, uh, just just for a second because I we can hear. Uh, yeah, I mean, um, you know, the, the last scene um, where where the the school board had to hire their own security, and that's an ongoing situation where essentially the county is now sort of splitting up into two uh, different institutions. And the school board has its own police. The sheriff will not essentially uh work with the school board this kind of fracturing is is going on all over the place and and i think it's reflected in 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 a wider problem that we're seeing at the national level with um you know the notion of you know neither party recognizing the other's uh election wins as legitimate uh and you know whether or not we're going to still continue to have confidence in the results the, the difference in Loudon between the, the wider culture war between Trump and and um, and sort of a, the hashtag resistance folks is that this is a very very affluent um, place. It's the kind of place that tends to vote, you know, somewhere between seventy and ninety percent Democratic. Uh, in Loudon, it was a little bit less than that because there's a section of it that's um, not quite so cosmopolitan. And so they were 61-37 for Biden in 2016. But the the level of anger in this place and the degree to which these the two sides are not able to communicate with one another is alarming. It's something I've never seen in my lifetime. Um, and the, the level of outrage is, is something that I can only compare to uh, something that I've, you know, things that I've seen like, coal strikes um, and other other situations like that. It, I, I think this is a very serious schism and it's not getting better. And it's, and it's, it's, it's worsening in large part because of uh, national media as well. Sorry, you can unmute yourself. If you want to, you want to follow up. So, so um, th- that was going to be the second part of, of my thesis. It seems like the media uh, is uh, just putting more coal to the fire and, mm-hmm. And it just leads to more clickbait headlines, which then leads to more revenue for them. And their business model has now become more based on clickbaity articles rather than actually being informative. And uh, where necessary, they'll even have falsehoods by omission, even when it comes to like uh, local stories. And uh, just think of some of the antecedents, though, like the lacrosse, the Duke lacrosse player story. Like, were those like the canary in the coal mine to, that would lead up to this? Or were those just like completely statistical outliers? No, no, I think that's a great question. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think those are outliers at all. I think this is now a standard feature of, of American media. Uh, the, the inattention and the inability to look at the situation from all sides – and again, if, if if they had done that, if if national media had reported the Loudon story from all sides and and sort of presented everybody's position um, in a way that would have made it 
understandable that there are people who have you know legitimate differences of opinion over some difficult issues uh this is a a place that has uh that's struggled with a you know a lot of very hurt feelings over um like the gifted admissions program and the fact that um 70 percent of the people getting into the best program are are asian or south asian uh, so what do you do about that? These are hard questions. Do, do, do we have to do something about that? Is, well, isn't that doesn't that tie into like Harvard removing uh, uh, exams from their admissions, uh, and then Bill De Blasio trying to basically disrupt the fifteen elite public schools in in New York City because the minorities were the dominant uh, uh, population in them, but they're the wrong minority. Right, yeah, and University of California ending standardized testing. Yeah, that, that it's the same issue. But again, if they had presented that and a whole bunch of other things, uh, and and give and presented it as a multifaceted problem of of a very diverse community that actually hung together pretty well uh, until then, um, it it, it, it would have been very different. Instead, they took this. Uh, immediate caricature that it was a all about white supremacy as jeffrey tubin put it which only made everybody in the in the situation more angry and and it it uh i i think this is a major contributing factor to stories like this that are going to be replicating all over the country if that if that makes sense uh, anyway Sal, thanks so much for the question i appreciate it let's yeah. um let's uh move on to i think it's john Hello. Hello. Hey, can you is hear this me? John? Yes, it's John. How yes. Are you? How are you doing? So, so I want to thank you so much for writing this article. As I look out oh, my thanks. my window of my house at the Loudoun County Public School Building, because I live <laughs> in the neighborhood. Um, wow, that's amazing. You're in Ashburn. Yes, I am. Wow. I actually could see the school building from my window that I'm talking to you from, which is kind of scary. Uh, so um, I, there's a couple of things, there's a thousand things I want to talk about. I don't want to take up all the time, but a couple of things I just wanted to, 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 after reading the article. So one of the things you pointed out was that there was this massive funding to this organization in California to come up with the, 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 you know, the curriculum or the ethics assessment. Yeah, assessment. So, but you also mentioned that that was never voted on through normal school board processes. Um, right. So my question on that part is, who do you think was behind this? Was it the superintendent? Was it the school board? Were they working in cahoots to not bring this up? Or was it just, just you know, um, the, the, the problem that we're having right now is that we're trying to get rid of, you know, five or six of the school board members. But the one that the obvious one has already been kicked out. Uh, and we're yeah. in the the. the where, how how deep do we need to cut to get the cancer out? Is is one question. <laughs> um, so I'll let you answer. Yeah, that. that. I got another 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 question. Sure. Yeah. So I I asked that question. Um, I talked to a, a number of officials. Um, anybody who's reading the piece can can probably tell that there were a lot of people who spoke to me off the record, uh, and that I was getting information from people who had been involved um, in both school board decisions and in um, in administration decisions. So I asked, I did ask the question, 
because it was it was important to confirm first that um, it, it's absolutely true that those initial expenditures were were done without board approval. That I can definitely confirm. All the members of the board that I spoke to said that was the case, and that it, and that it was unusual. Like a, an example that they that they they, they would give is um, if 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 the schools wanted to hire a part time employee for thirty thousand dollars a year. Um, they would come to us like it, it would be the expectation would be that they would have to come to us for something like that. Uh, so the idea that they would hire, they would go and do this $500,000 contract without asking, asking the board is a very, very significant move that they made. So I asked the question uh, and you're, it's the obvious one that you brought up. Well, who made that decision? Whose call was that? And I, I got a number of different answers. Um, Obviously, I don't think it happens without the superintendent, but I, um, you know, I, I don't have anybody on the record who's going to tell me that. Uh, there are a number of people who, um, within the administration, who were uh, influential in um, in making this decision. It sounds like there was a a longstanding political problem. Uh, that people within the school board, within the within the school system, had, uh, particularly in their dealings with the NAACP and activists like that, and it was the theory of a number of people that I spoke with that hiring the the collaborative was a way, basically, to just alleviate those tensions and say, all right, well, you know, we. We're, we're doing something about this, and you can't say that we're not. Um, I, th- I think they didn't want to risk going to the board and getting shot down, um, asking for so much money. So they just went ahead and did it. Um, but I think, that's a, I think that's a question that uh, citizens of the area definitely need to ask. Um, we've got some freedom of information requests that are still outstanding that, may, that might get to that. Uh, but... Um, as you might have heard, there's a long line of such requests. So, uh, yeah, that was that was the headlines today that uh, yeah. the, the amount of requests going through. So, okay, yeah. so here's a, so uh, I got a, it's another comment. So, looking mm-hmm. at the actual assessment that was done, because that was included in your documents that you have put in as a supplement to, to part two, um, it was interesting to me that the hand picking of which elementary schools, uh, middle schools, and high schools that they picked. As you had mentioned, Loudoun is still um, a divided county in that you have sort of the rural area of Loudoun County, which is still somewhat redneck, and you have the the affluent Washington, D.C. consultant version of um, Loudoun County, which is Ashburn. And it was interesting that they picked a lot of the schools that were in the more redneck area so they could probably try to fish to get stories that they could put into their article. Um, a lot of a lot of the schools that my daughters and my my sons and and my neighbors have gone to um, don't seem to have some of those same diversities. Uh, my daughter has, for example, my one of my daughters, seven of her friends. She's the only white one. Uh, she, there are Asian, there are um, Indian, uh, there are black, um, and those are her best friends. 
And those are the people that she went from, from elementary school all the way through high school with and graduated with. So it's just really interesting how they handpicked which, which schools to go to. Yeah, and, and actually it's even worse uh, than that. You point out the geographic distribution of, of what they did, um, of, of where they did their questioning. And this was 11 days of interviews um, by three consultants. And they, they uh, interviewed students, but also parents. But they uh, only interviewed black and Hispanic parents. They excluded Asian and white parents, um, and so they were they were looking for a specific kind of result. I, I, as you can see from the report, uh, again, some of those stories are are um, they definitely ring true, and and every everybody I talked to said, yeah, that kind of stuff definitely happens. But uh, is it believable that there are Indian kids who aren't getting the same thing in that in that? In, yes. in the county, <laughs> I mean, right, right. yeah. So, um, yeah, I, 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 I think that the report was. Uh, it, it reads to me like the report was um, designed to produce a certain result, and um, it also left out some statistical context about, well, how, it, it, you know, in the context of a size of of, of a county this big. Um, what does this mean? Like how often are we getting, you know, certain kinds of answers versus what, what you'd expect nationally or they, they, they just didn't do that kind of analysis. And, um, so that, and that was a factor by the way, in, in, uh, changing the minds of some of the board members, um, or at least some of the local politicians who, who were not impressed by the report. Right. Um, and, no, I, I appreciate, I can, again, appreciate everything you have done. The, 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 this, this, this four-part article should be mailed to every Loudoun County um, family. Um, and, and it just is a starting point because um, it, this was, this was, the election was, was the, the result of the fire that, that was, that was um, set by all this going on. And, and, and I believe what you've talked about is that the, the original um, going out and getting this this company to come in was hey let's get these parents to stop talking but they cut their nose off in front in front of their face and the fact that they basically blew up and made it went went completely the other direction when it didn't need to be um, general conversation and communication would have solved ninety nine percent of the problems that people were having yeah I, I agree with you I also think that the the school system was basically passing the buck to the school board by doing that. Like in other, in other words, like the, the, by starting a process that was going to end up becoming a school board problem, they, they moved the, the direction of the ire somewhere else. So um, anyway, thanks John for the question. And, uh, yes. <laughs> and thanks for reporting uh, from, 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 uh, from Loudon. That's cool. Thank uh, you. All right, let's uh, move on to, uh, I think it's Jenny Murray. Jen, you can yes, hear me? thank you. Thanks for uh, thanks for uh, coming up. I loved your articles. I thought they were wonderful, and I agree they should be plastered everywhere. Um, <laughs> this you. is the type of journalism we need to fix our education system. And I really think the heart of what they're trying to do, and not just there in Loudoun County, but nationwide, is re-education. They really want to re-educate 
the children against their parents' values. They want to brainwash the kids into certain tropes of thinking. And so they will stop at nothing to make certain that this happens. And for decades, the education establishment has used faulty curriculums in English, reading, and math to make certain that a certain group of kids just can't learn. And, you know, it's why you have children studying whole language reading curriculums and 30, 40% of them come up not able to read. And the reason why the education establishment does that is because the big money is in the recidivism, meaning I've got all these Mm. kids who are learning disabled, the big money, the big money from the feds is doing that re-education. So you've had this little cottage industry of math specialists and reading specialists coming in where if they would have just taught the children reading and math correctly right up front, they wouldn't have had to do all that re-education. And now that has expanded out like a cancer to where, oh, we need to re-educate these children about why their parents' beliefs are problematic and why they really should question this, but not that. And they want to really get into their minds and teach them what to think rather than teaching them how to think. And so I think you've really got the microcosm of it right there in that story of what happened with that dad. I am so angry that that dad went to jail. I I think he should sue Loudoun County for every dollar he can get from them because of the indignity of the father of a girl who was raped being sent to jail when everybody else is just sort of skating. And that side of the story is, I think, where so many parents were angry. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the reporting on that was, was, was awful too. I think he, he, he's got a case against some, um, some media figures as well. Uh, just out, out of curiosity, it sounds like you might be in, involved in education somewhere. Are you? Well, I'm a mom of five kids. Um, They're all adults mm-hmm. now. And um, I was an education activist against the common core, mm-hmm. which if you, if you recall, when Common Core was coming in right alongside Obamacare, you know, with Obamacare, we had lots of public debate. We had a couple of Supreme Court decisions. It was kind of out there, but Common Core just sort of sort of slid in the back door with that race to the top money. The states were highly incentivized to it, put these curriculums in place, and the counties that Im- implemented it first got millions and millions of dollars. So I watched that all come down when my own kids were still in school. And then I watched the effect that the curriculum had on my own children. And I mean, there was, there's absolutely an agenda to dumb them down, especially with math. And it's why you're hearing things about how math is racist and math is, you know, something that we just can't expect the kids to learn two plus two equals four. That's just too hard. You know, that is a real agenda that's been coming for a long time. And there again, you see the recidivism. How many of you in your community have noticed a math lab set up in your own town where kids can go get re-educated, again, re-educated from something they should have learned from the school during the day? You've got all these children, their parents are hiring personal tutors, and they're taking them to these math labs because they know there's something off in the curriculum that they're being taught at school. This is by design, Mm. and it's so maddening to watch. Yeah. Um, you, you mentioned the race to the top. Uh, one of the teachers that I talked to d- during the story brought up the fact that there was quietly a headline in Ed Week uh, just a couple of weeks ago. I'm going to look it up quickly. Um, hang on a second. Uh, that, es- that essentially said the $4.3 billion that... Um, that came out uh, that uh, was spent um, 
on on Ed Week basically produced no positive results. Uh, and and you know it, 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 you're laughing, but you know that th- it, it, a lot of teachers, like the older ones that I talked to, said that this is a, this is a cyclical thing that older teachers understand is that there's going to be some kind of craze that comes through, um, you know, on a regular basis that uh, really is going to come down to just a, a scam to bring in money from some other place, like, you know, whether it's the federal government or, or whatever. Um, well, these, these curriculum companies are tied to some very interesting people. I don't know if you heard the story, but A.G. Garland, apparently he has some children who are making bank off of their critical race theory curriculum for children. Did you hear about no, that? No, I did not, know. That's a little scandal that's bubbling under the surface because I really think once you see who's making the money off of these curriculums, it's some very connected people. And I just think that sort of stuff needs to be blown out of the water. Because I do think the elites have certain agendas. They're pursuing yeah. them. And Donald Trump, when he came in and said about education, he said two words. He said, local control. That was a real you know, arrow in the heart of the education establishment. Because for decades, they've been setting up this Fed ed that's nationwide and it's regulated and we're all on the same page. And it's, you know, Thomas Sowell himself said 25 years ago in his book, Inside American Education, he said the whole thing needs to be burned to the ground and start over. And I, I'm pretty much there, you know, just let's start over local mm. control. <laughs> Excellent. Well, uh, th- th- thanks for the comment. I really appreciate it. And, um, you know, I, yeah, Thank I, you. I, I think, yeah, there, there's definitely, a lot of the people I spoke to for the story talked about the, this issue of, you know, where do we draw the line between what we leave to parents to teach children and what is the responsibility of schools to teach children? And there is a, you know, there's there's a pretty violent disagreement about that increasingly. And well, I can tell you from my perspective, I'm a mom. I was a busy mom when my kids were little. But I felt so passionate about them learning to read and do basic math that we homeschooled for a couple of years just to build that foundation. And we bought the the best curriculum out there is the Saxon math curriculum. And here we are doing these daily math lessons. And I was angry that I felt like I needed to do that Mm. when I had so much else I needed to do. And I'm paying my taxes. The the school should have been doing it anyway. But, you know, two of my sons grew up. One was a math major, graduated with honors. Both of my sons worked in their math lab in college as math tutors. I like to think that that foundation we gave them really helped. Just, you can't fake math. You can't fake it. And that's why they want it to to go. That's why they don't want any problem with any kid who wants to get into college. They want them to just get in without having to know anything because it's the one thing you can't fake. Yeah, amazing. Totally dysfunctional. Anyway, uh, Jenny, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Um, and, um, okay, let's move on to, uh, I think it's Craig. It looks like a, a dog avatar wise, but Craig, are you there? No, uh, John. Yeah, I'm here. Can you hear me, Matt? Hey, I can awesome. hear you. Yep. Awesome. Hey. Um, I want to make two quick comments, and the first is, after I got done listening, uh, listening after I got done reading, 
these four stories, the very next thing I did was uh, went to Pulitzer.org. <laughs> no, I'm serious because I was I was like, how do journalists have their work, uh, you know, submitted for a Pulitzer? And Matt, I'm t- just going to tell it to you straight up. You make these four articles publicly available. I'm going to put up the seventy five dollar fee. <laughs> uh, I'll put up the seventy five dollar fee, and I'm going to you know put these up and say, hey, this this guy needs to get a Pulitzer. That's how strongly I feel about how important that reporting. Wow! Thank thank you. That, that that's that's not totally not necessary, and I'm, I'll, I will never get uh, it won't it won't work. But but I really appreciate the that. Yeah. Um, and the second thing I want to do is is talk a little bit about and ask you to consider digging in some um, in a particular area because I think um, I'm a cybersecurity professional. I you know I run a cybersecurity business and I understand the underlying technology and databases behind social media and and this thing called the social graph. You wrote an article a while back. The headline is, As America Falls Apart, Profits Soar. And you Mm -hmm. said the following at the end. You said, keeping the Volk at each other's throats instead of pitchforking the aristocrats is an old game and one that's now gone digital and works better than ever. Um, What's really going on here, in my opinion, is anger and fear are recognized to be the most powerful emotions to keep people's attention. So there is a there is a kind of a circular self-reinforcing dynamic between media outlets and the social media platforms. When you're on, let's say, Facebook, and you see something posted by somebody on the other side of the political aisle, I'll just call that person or that group of people the, your political other. If I'm on the right, my political others are the folks on the left and vice versa. And you start sticking like the angry emoji on those things. What you're doing is you're teaching machine learning algorithms how to profile your own emotions. And so the social, the big tech platforms know more about your emotions than you even do. Um, and the the news outlets they feed on that information. Big tech sells that to them. Um, I, you know, if I'm watching Fox News, I see the same pattern over again. The kind of stories that are going to piss off their conservative audience are the stories that you see them report. Now, I'll give them credit. They don't gaslight us quite like they do on the left. But you see the same thing on the left-leading media outlets. They know what kind of stories are going to piss off their viewers because we teach them that. When we use the social uh, the so- social media, right? And so where it was once, where marketing was once a matter of profiling us economically, so that they could understand what kind of products we're interested in, marketing is now about profiling us emotionally, so that they know what pisses us off and what makes us afraid. Right. Right. And I'd love to see you dig into that and maybe maybe write some more about that. Dig into how it how exactly it is that they're working to keep us angry and afraid, because it really runs to the heart of this whole thing of this culture of outrage. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, John, uh, thank thank you for the. Um, thank you for the comment. Yeah, I, I've, I've done a little bit of work on that. I mean, uh, hating the last book I wrote was uh it kind of tangentially talks about that and and if you go back and you look um i I talked to a couple of people who were 
who did research for companies like Facebook about uh, what what gets the most response and what what will what would work best in the news feed. If you look, you'll find comments. Uh, what, what's the name of the guy who uh, who invented Napster? Who's uh, played by Justin Timberlake? Uh, yeah, I don't remember Sean, the name, but I know you're talking about <laughs> Sean Parker. Exactly. He's he, he has a whole thing talking about how um, when you uh, w- when you read a news article, you get a little do- like, and it makes you angry. You get a little dopamine rush, and the companies know this. Yep. I think the not only the the platforms know this, but the news companies are keenly aware of that dynamic, and it's it's the it's their only kind of remaining uh, revenue model, uh, which is interesting because when I first got into media, the yeah. the whole concept of what what you had to do to make money was was very different, uh, and I think that plays a role also in. in making situations in places like loud and worse because because you know what they're mm-hmm. doing like just to take an example in in the piece i referenced a washington post account of the june 22nd meeting in in loud that kind of was so famous and it's it's nothing but a, a just a, a series of hot button clichés where they're essentially saying a bunch of racist um, segregationists who are spiritually the same people who were in the Klan a hundred years ago, um, you know, lost it in a meeting, right? And of course, it, the idiosyncratic you know, truth that turns out to be very different. It's a series of different things that are happening in the meeting. There's a there's a father who ha- whose daughter has been raped. Then there's this ridiculous. There's a there's a protest over this jazz hands rule. They don't want to go anywhere near that. They just want to do the simplistic take because they know it's going to rile people up. Now, the problem with that is that what ends up happening is it just hardens people. It makes it hard. It makes it more unlikely that they're going to come together and reach an accommodation over some, some legitimately sticky issues. Uh, And, and, and that's what I think you see in Loudon is, you know there there are some tough issues there. Like what what do you do about the gift in admissions? Like what happens if if um you know you're going to have a new trans policy, but you know the, the 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 Christians won't go for it. Like there are some tricky legal issues there. No matter no matter how uh, that that ends up going, but if people if they had a spirit of we have to work this out one way or the other. They'd be more likely to succeed, but the 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 the, the way the press works does not encourage that. So, yeah. yeah. Well, it, and it's because in the press, and I'll just this will be the last thing I'll say. Um, I'm sure you're very fond of the First Amendment. Uh, the last words of the First Amendment guarantee to us the right to seek redress or to petition government for redress of grievance, and that's what we should be doing in places like Loudon. But the whole thing's been hijacked by people who just want to monetize our grievances. And right. if we, I would simply say one thing, we can stop using emojis. I could go into a techie. <laughs> I could go into a technical explanation of why that's the most pernicious part of uh, the, the social graph, because that's what makes it possible for these emotional profiles to be built. But uh, that is interesting. Actually, if you, if you could, if you could send me an email, because I, I want to follow up on that. Separately. Can I, can I mention my, can I mention my sub stack? Sure. Yeah. I don't want to. Okay. Um, it's thomaspains.blog. 
Okay. And I have a, an article titled how media outlets are using tech platforms to keep us angry and afraid. And I go into complete detail on that. Excellent. All right. I'll get in touch. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks, John. All right. I think uh, our next person is uh, also John. Are you there? Hey, Matt. Hey, John. How's it going? Doing well. R- really appreciated all, all the reporting, especially over the last year. Um, oh, the you. Loudon um, story was definitely very interesting. And um, I'm as disturbed by the, some of the outcomes as you are, but I'm also extremely hopeful especially just in the long course of American history um, that Mm -hmm. we've always been a very diverse country where these kind of um, craziness of the red scare, all these things kind of boil under the surface for a while. Um, But the reason they never really work and in the long run in America is finally um, you get to a demographic like the demographic and Loudon, which as, as you call out are, significantly well off uh you got lawyers you got people with money um Mm -hmm. and once you piss off that demographic and any of the quote-unquote witch hunts which are kind of in our dna from salem um eventually you're going to get to people with money um where it it starts to end that's a good point Mm -hmm. It, it starts to be the beginning of the end but and i think it's in a lot of your coverage especially over the last year is kind of um documenting the discontent especially after trump got elected um, in large segments of the population um, that's been boiling and boiling and boiling primarily over the lack of conversation that we as Americans had once we won the Cold War. (laughs) I mean, prior to the Mm -hmm. Cold War ending, nobody in the intelligence community thought the Soviet Union was going to fall. A lot of Americans didn't think that the war was going to end outside of mutually assured destruction. Um, Then it ended and the entire system that the Americans built to beat the Soviet Union was still in place and we're still funding it, but we never really needed it for economic security. That was, that was Trump's big problem was that he was right about that one thing um, that mm-hmm. we are funding and doing globalization, but it was never for American economic interests. We, one of the least involved countries economically through trade Um but we fund the entire system that makes free trade available. And there's a reason nobody else has an expensive Navy. It's because the United States guaranteed free trade for everyone, even our enemies and, and supported this whole thing. Right. And I'm just curious to see like what I think we're getting to the fever pitch. I mean, people don't make wholesale changes to systems until discontent builds for a while. Um, revolution, discontent, old declaration of independence, listing the grievances, it's the nature of men to suffer and then eventually gets to the point where it's a little bit un- un- unbearable. I think we're definitely mm. getting to that point. And Trump was, and Trump and Bernie on both sides were the um, kind of the calling of that. And it's, it's still building right now. And I think I'm just curious to see your take. Do you think that I'm very curious on the democratic side, if they're ever be able to read them, rid themselves of kind of the neoliberal elite that still runs the party? Um, or is it just going to be the Republicans that have, completely destroyed all the neoconservatives that you, that you mentioned in Hayden as being kind of the opposites of each other, the neoliberals and the neoconservatives arguing, mm-hmm. but saying the same things. Well, the, my, my dad was like, thank God Trump beat Bush. I mean, like the <laughs> Republican family, but he's like, everyone hated well off Republican family. Like, everyone hated the neoconservatives and where they had gone. And the Republicans actually, kicked out the neoconservatives they're all pretty much gone by now 
um, and continue to be kind of pushed out for some of what they called the Trumpists. Yeah, they were they were slaughtered in uh, in 2016. It was uh, it's kind of amusing actually to watch. Um, yeah, yeah, uh, that's a great question, and I th- I think it's pertinent to Loudon too um, because look the 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 story all around the world. I think right now is this rising tide of, of popular discontent. You see it expressing itself in d- different forms in different countries, whether it's the Gilets jaunes in France or Brexit in England or whatever, right? This is this kind of, um, sort of growing distrust and dissatisfaction with the performance of neoliberal government, um, has been growing for uh, a long time now. It's accelerated a lot, especially in the last 15 years. And this is, this is something that, you know, the, the Martin Gurry uh, writes a lot about this. Uh, so what are, what are the, what are the um, sort of ruling elites going to do about this? And my, my take on this has been that they've, they've continually made the mistake of assuming that um, either some ham-handed trick or short-term solution is going to is going to uh, be sufficient, or that 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 uh, just simple authoritarianism is is going to be the answer. Uh, whereas, you know, for, for instance, with the Democratic Party, they should have responded in 2016, in my opinion. Um, by saying, "Wow, I can't, we, I can't believe we lost that election." Maybe if we had a better record of of actually delivering certain things to the population, yep. that the, this wouldn't have happened. We wouldn't have had this like level of disbelief. They did exactly the opposite. They poured all their political capital into um, a series of other things, you know, ranging from censorship to the RussiaGate thing to whatever. And you know, n- now what we're seeing with the with Loudon is like the, the, the method of social control. Like you, you, you have a whole bunch of people who are now, they're not sort of poor people out there in, in rural red America who are, these are well off college educated people that, that um, they, they have not had a problem with previously, right? Like these, they, they've dominated these areas yep. and all of a sudden they've got real, serious discontent. Now the Democrats still won Loudoun County, but very, by a very narrow margin in the last election. Um, the fact that they even, they're even competitive in those places. And this, you saw this in New Jersey also, uh, is a major, major shift in that, na- in national politics. And with record turnout too, it wasn't like it was a, there, there was huge turnouts for an off, off year. Election. Yeah, exactly. The, the, which you should, you should, you should never see, especially since we just had an election with Trump in it. Uh, the fact yep. that, you know, I was, I was at a polling station where they set a record for turnout um, in Loudoun and that sh- that shouldn't happen. Right. So, so what's the response going to be? Well, so far they can't think of anything except to call these people racists Um and that's just not going to cut it. Like the, the, they've got to come up. Yeah. It's never worked. There, there has to be a solution that is um, a little smarter than that. And they have to start realizing that some, some of the core ideologies that they're pushing um, are just, they're just repugnant to the, you know, the overwhelming majority of people. Uh, and 
you know, I mean, as Ryan Grimm and the Intercept reported, the more like the kind of wacky social justice ideas that get you know, get exposed to the population, they they the more they see slippage. Uh, the Democrat Democrats do, especially among uh, working class voters of all races, and um, they're going to have to eventually pay attention pay attention to that. I don't see any sign that they're that they're having a come to Jesus moment yet, but. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of freaking out going on about what happened in, in Virginia. Uh, so we'll see. You know, I, 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 I'm not, like you. I'm optimistic. I think we're a resilient country. We usually find our way through. What I worry about is the temptation to use this sort of techno- technology to try um, a, a new authoritarian solution to this to this problem um and that's going to require some pushback to to um unseat so uh if that makes sense but yeah no i hope and i i'm very skeptical of how much that will actually work especially with the 2020 i mean there was a four-year and with the russia gate i mean there's a four-year scorched earth campaign by most media outlets against trump um, and everything that he did, the, the Trump derangement syndrome. And then you, in the 2020 election, um, the game that's played in, in, in Hate Inc. was broken, where you, you saw the Democrats outspent the Republicans three to one on <laughs> in the mm-hmm. election. And the biggest swings were corporate corporations. Um, corporations hate any form of um, just status quo. And Trump was very much challenging the status quo. So, I mean, but you didn't see that big swing. It was pretty much even in the 2016 election as it had been for most of the other ones on the split of corporations 50 50 but now the republicans are like all right big businesses against they're never coming back especially for all these corporations that have done the dei i mean they can't um they, they've very much chosen a side um and i think the republicans right. realize they're never coming back and are much more efficient at fighting at every single level of government going local fighting every local election, every single state election, and then every single national election. Um, and they know that they can still win without the dollar. I mean, they had all the dollars against them and all media against them. And the election only came down to 80,000 votes. <laughs> it doesn't seem like there's anyone else that yeah. Democrats can run. So I, I think there's the threat with the authoritarian, but it's also just so complicated with these tech systems that the impact just really seemed negligible, especially with the full lead up to 2020. I would. I was expecting it to be more, especially because I I was reading the more liberal and elite institution items, and I was very convinced on certain things that Trump had done. Then realizing, especially after the election, that it was just not true <laughs> on a lot of right. things, and it just didn't right. impact his the voting turnout um, the way they expected. Because I think mean, a lot of the people are trying to convince the party tuned out. Um, how many people you're actually reaching? Right. Well, I, I, again, I think Loudon shows that um, you know that the, the whatever they think propaganda wise is going to work is not working so uh we'll see we'll see how it, how it works out going forward but anyway uh, john thanks a lot i really appreciate it uh all right uh i think i think clay is next are you there can you hear me can you hear me yes i okay. can Hey, Matt, thank you for writing this. It's, it is absolutely why I subscribe to you. I want to thank you. Oh, thank you. Everybody. I just 
fucking terrific, man. And um, I wanted to get your opinion on something, and, and it's interesting because I think it points to some of the some of the points that were made in the last caller's comments and your responses to that. Um, when I I work at a major East Coast liberal university, and I can tell mm -hmm. you that this like woke bullshit stuff is a method of social control and whatever reaches actual America and you know the people that think overall oh, is just completely fucked up it is so much more fucked up here you know like <laughs> in, in like in like the the sort of ground zero of it so I became increasingly alarmed about this uh pre-2020 and so I I uh, joined a Google group, which was like a listserv of uh, Stop CRT folks in California, and they were organizing against the adoption of uh, mandatory, um, what is it, uh, cultural sensitivity uh, classes for kids to graduate. And they saw this, and it was, it was like mainly um, a huge coalition of like Asian Americans who had come from China and had escaped the, um, you know, the indoctrination the, the, there, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And they were feeling that it was happening in their place. So they mobilized against it. And I was monitoring this Google group for like, you know, months. And uh, I eventually had stopped because I got too angry. But I remember uh, it, the Loudon thing started to trickle into this because these people were combing uh, all of the uh, media around the country. And I was seeing uh, video clips from school board meetings uh, that were right before it even hit the national media. And so I was like sending these links to my friends saying, yeah, this looks like Loudoun County is a hotbed of this shit. We should really, you know, take a look at this. So it was really uh, gratifying and amazing to, to, to see your granular detail on this thing that I'd been tracking for a long time. But I, I wanted to get your opinion on something because because I had been following it the way I had, I actually read mm -hmm. uh, the Daily Wire stuff that you reference um, and a few other outlets that were either libertarian or right wing stuff I normally would never read. But the anti CRT stuff was like just percolating up then. And I was mm -hmm. very uh, adamant about that not reaching into my kids schools, So I was tracking it. Um, and I was um, I was uh, sort of like, OK, seen through the right wing libertarian media sphere point to this and say, yeah, see, this is fucked up and, and never hearing anything about it in the mainstream legacy media until November 5th. And not that this is a legacy media outlet, but I don't know. Did you read uh, the article by Andrew Rice in New York magazine on November 5th titled uh, New Jersey's Re uh, Education Rebellion was a long time coming? No, I didn't. Uh, what did it say? Well, it, it basically goes into, uh, you know, the, the sort of squeaker that the Democrats pulled out there and all the embarrassments therein. But um, it, it, it referenced Loudon and it said, you know, Loudon has got a hot, uh, sort of a hot button culture war angle. But this was very much. And uh, one of the lines is the last line was uh, people tend to get mad, incandescently furious when they think you're hurting their kids. And the provision of public education is among the most basic functions of government. And for many, many, many months, New Jersey's government fucked it up. That was actually in New York magazine. And in this wow. in this in this polarized media culture, as I'm sure you're aware, when an article like that runs in New York magazine after saying. Did I lose you? Uh, in and all these other places, and now you're writing about it. What do you think that that bodes for the direction of the political currents in this country? 
Like if, if, if it's even found its way into progressive bastions like New York Magazine. Yeah, that's a great question, Clay. Uh, we lost you for a second there, but I think we got the, the, the gist of the, 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 the question. Okay. Uh, okay. But the, yeah, I, I didn't see that piece in New York. I did see that the New York Times did um, a couple of, couple of editorials after Election Day, very conspicuously after Election Day, um, talking about uh, sort of, you know, education issues. There was another article, God, I'm blanking on where I saw it, but it was about the um actually I might have might even have been in the Washington Post about the the um the 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 polls showing that the traditional dominance of Democrats uh on the education issue was had had almost completely evaporated. And I, I so what I think you know what that signals is that there is right. some self awareness uh among Democrats that they have a problem uh, in education. However, my my uh, my guess is, you know, having co- <laughs> covered them in, in other areas for years, is that they their response to this will be some kind of a marketing idea. Like let's let's market what's going on in schools differently, um, and the, the, what they what they will fail to understand is that you you can't. You, you can't fix this through media because people are getting the information from their kids, uh, and they're you know, and, and this and this is something that they have real life experience with. So they have to actually come up with a new idea. Um, and I, I just don't. I mean, if you work at a university, do you do you see any likelihood that there's going to be any kind of you know shift in the intellectual culture that will allow them to move away from? All this stuff, right? Yeah. So zero. I, I just don't zero. I, I, it's an irre, irrepressible force, you know, meeting the immovable object or whatever the cliche is, because po- politically they 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 can't yeah. continue to do this and and hope to win. Um, but I, you know, culturally the the universities are completely captured by by these this thinking. So. Yeah, I, I have no idea. Yeah. I mean, what do you think? I mean, do, do, do well, I mean, I think I think that the Democrats are fucked. I think you know Jersey and uh, Virginia are a bellwether. I mean, th- these were like really blue counties that either went the other way or just barely got through. And I don't know. It, it seems to me that parents are really. I'm a parent as well, and. I guess that, that I, I don't think that the Democrats are going to be able to do it, but particularly given the margins that Trump had in 2020, uh, that Biden had over Trump, which was even smaller than, than Trump's were in, in 2016, and that Trump built his coalition amongst, you know, Hispanics, Blacks, gay people, uh, white women. Uh, I, I just I just don't see it's going to happen. But one of the things that I'm interested in, in your perspective, because you were on the ground in, in Loudoun and, and the, the reporting you do is, as I said before, excellent. But I wonder, like, if you had to choose, and I'm not one to, like, ascribe monofactorial reasons for complex social phenomenon. However, if we were, would you say from your experience that, um, well, would this have ever happened if COVID didn't happen? Like, it, like what is the, 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 the ratio of the, the causal mm-hmm. factor of this anger? Was it the fact that 
the curriculum and these ideas that are coming from democratic teacher unions that are you know fully infiltrated and supported by all these think tanks that publish this bullshit curriculum or was it the fact that they were pissed that their kids weren't in school and they were suddenly forced to watch what their kids were learning and they like what was it uh, well there was that was a big chunk of it and that that was a major complaint that i had with the coverage um because you know if you talk to people in loud and what they'll tell you is that the the school closures in the fall of 2020 were what animated the parents groups first first of all like that that was the thing that got people the maddest uh to begin with was the inability of the school system to to get moving on that and then yeah i I mean i put one of the one of those quotes in the piece from one of the parents who said yeah they sent our, our, our kids home with laptops and we got to see what they were working on and that flipped a bunch of us out um you know, there was a, a former local official who uh, was also a parent who had the same experience. Um, somebody who previously had supported a lot of these initiatives, and uh, you know, but during the lo- the uh, the closures, um, started to see uh, up close uh, more of what was going on and had a, had a major change of heart. So mm-hmm. I think, I think that's a factor, yeah. but st- still the, in Loudon, there would have been a major controversy anyway, because of the equity assessment. Um, so, right. You know, right. it, it, was it worse? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, I think, I think the tensions ran hotter because of that, but there would, there would have been a showdown over this anyway. So. Well, all I know is that, you know, I was a, I'm a guy to the wool liberal of the classical vein. And I was, you know, I have done a complete 180 when it comes to public schools. I'm like all about homeschool now, school choice, vouchers. I've, I've done that. Like I, I am a charter school person <laughs> now because of, of what happened. And I just, I'll end here. I just want to point out though, I just want to appreciate you for one more second because this line in your piece, I just love. Imagine asking a person incapable of learning the rules to Candyland to pilot a 747 <laughs> in a snowstorm and you're close to grasping what it meant to allow them to have Bart's in elected office while the country tried to navigate national controversy. Uh, <laughs> That is a gem, and I think that it points directly to your earlier comment that this really should be a movie. If only Dickens and Chekhov were alive to like collaborate on it, it would be perfect. Oh yeah, abs- absolutely. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I appreciate that. The the, uh, the the absurdity factor of this thing was so was so incredible. I mean, it had a David Lynchian quality because it had that whole the the yeah. you know the whole. You know, there's something totally nuts and menacing under the surface of suburban America. Uh, yeah. Like, like, if I didn't know better, if I didn't know better, I'd think that you were on drugs like Hunter S. Thompson, like, <laughs> making a great <laughs> menagerie of, like, Virginia. But it is truly remarkable what you were able to sort of put a, put a microscope on, and I'm, I'm grateful. Thank you. Uh, excellent. All right. Thanks, Clay. I appreciate it. Um, yep. And uh, all right. Uh, let's... Um, Let's move on to Guy, I think. Hey, Matt. How's it going? Hi, Guy. Good. How are you? Uh, awesome. Thanks so much for this series and this platform so that we can talk to you. It's, it's, it's amazing. I want to 
Yeah, thank you. I want to dovetail on what Clay just talked about because I love that Candyland, uh, the <laughs> Candyland line, and the part about the jazz hands. Um, in 2000, at the age of 28, I decided to run for the school board in Illinois because my school district had run itself into the ground, and I spent the next eight years there, including the last four years as president. And yeah, it's wow. So, when I was reading this article, I'm like, yep, yep, yep. I, I remember. So <laughs> hopefully people get scared shitless at this. Um, school boards are a lowly elected office. And these folks are in charge of, if you look at your tax bill and who they employ, like most school boards are the largest employer in town. And they account for anywhere from a third to more than half of your tax bill. And school board members come in three varieties, usually, except for me. Uh, <laughs> I'll exclude myself. <laughs> uh, the first type is uh, the one that you highlighted, which was hilarious. I'm like, yep, I know that school board member, the PTA mom. There's always the PTA mom that runs for school board. The second variety is the grandma that's been on the school board for decades and was a PTA mom, but isn't anymore. And the third variety is the one that's trying to bolster their, uh, their bona fides to run for higher office. And so they run for school board. So right. what happens is, is that school boards essentially employ one person and that's the superintendent. That's the way they work is they leave the superintendent to run the day-to-day -day operations. They employ that superintendent to do that. And so what happens is, is that the superintendent gets really cozy with the school board. And, the, and so when anything comes before the school board, like all the different, everything now is all about the research shows, the data shows, these consultants show that this is what we should do. And so what happens is the superintendent brings it to the board. And so the PTA moms always, they always say vote for everything that's, well, it's for the children, so I'm voting yes. And the grandmas vote yes. Mm -hmm. And that's just like the politically motivated ones that vote a different way. And it's just, there's kind of like a perfect storm going on right now uh, as it comes to school boards because What's happening is you have that going on where superintendents are getting cozy with boards and they just kind of rubber stamp stuff like this. Interestingly, what happened there, I was on the school board in Illinois. That could not happen in Illinois. In Illinois, anything over 10 grand has to be approved by the school board. So there's no way they would have snuck that right. in Illinois. It would have had to have been approved by the board at one point. But what happens is, is that, and this might be near and dear to your heart, is that local journalism is more or less dead now. So when I started in 2000, mm -hmm. when we were in the thick of No Child Left Behind and shit like that, we had two local newspapers at virtually every board meeting. I want to say 95% of the board meetings that I attended or ran, the only people at that board meeting was the Board of Education and our administrators or employees. That's it. Nobody else gave a shit. People are like way more concerned mm. with their village trustees or county or the president of the United States. You should be way more concerned who is on your local school board than who the hell the president of the United States is because they have more direct impact on you than the president. And your kids. And your kids, if you have them. And that's that's the problem. Like, if you didn't have kids, oh, my God, they're like, 
how can you be on the school board? You don't have any kids. I'm like, I'm here to add rationality, okay? That's why I'm, I'm here to do this. So there's like this perfect storm where local journalism is pretty much dead. And so what happens, and, and that's what was amazing to me about your article was, and what I'd like to ask you about is like, you, you came in, you showed up, you did days of, of interviews. What happens nowadays is, is that the only time somebody shows up at a school board meeting is when people are pissed off. And then parents show up, right? And then maybe media outlets show up, and you know how all these local media outlets do shit now. They just kind of come in, do a, ask a couple of simple questions, and then they put out stories that are ultimate bullshit. You actually sat there and interviewed people. Like that doesn't happen anymore, and that's where we are really going. I've heard some some of the callers talk about notorious plans and i'm not saying that there isn't a conspiracy there but i believe the problem is more of one of incompetence that superintendents just Mm -hmm. snow snowball boards into voting for things that they don't know what they're voting for half the time so that's why that whole jazz hands thing just really made me laugh my ass off because um (laughs) that's that's things that school boards do nowadays because these are people that they are used to 95 percent of the time nobody is there to put a critical eye to them, to anything they do. And so that's why I kind of think loud and that this just blew up on them. That was like, oh, not only do we have local people here, we have national people here paying attention to what we're doing now. And they're just so woefully unqualified to deal with that because they're PTA moms or grandmas or stuff like that. So... And that affects their behavior too. The presence of the the media, right? I mean, like th- that's inevitable too. Like the totally. yeah, no, I got it. that's a that's yeah. a great question. And and you know what's what's interesting about that? Um, so so just as an aside, uh, my my first real job that I got paid for in journalism was I I was working for the. Um, the Standard Times in New Bedford, which is a, a you know a local newspaper, and my my job was to go to town meetings and and things like school board hearings, and once upon a time that was a that was a basic trope of American journalism was that you had a local paper that would go to cover whether it was school boards or the aldermen or whoever. Uh, there would be somebody there, and they would have to be responsible for having some institutional knowledge of what members were typically for what, uh, who was, you know, financially backed by whom. Um, you know, there, there was there was some knowledge there. In other words, that that the the press would have about uh, these 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 bodies. Perfect phrase, institutional knowledge. Absolutely. Yeah, and 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 you know, because local uh, journalism has been decimated in almost everywhere, only every place in the country, we've lost thousands of local newspapers just since the year two thousand. Um, now, Loudon does have two two pretty good local uh, media outlets. There's, there's the Times Mirror and Loudon Now. And they do they do cover the board meetings, and it does. And they had some um, uh, some insight into what was going on at these meetings. Uh, however, the, it was it was really noticeable that when the, the national media showed up, 
that they they didn't bother really to talk to anybody except for the most obvious people. So they would talk to the they would talk to the board chair. Um, they would talk to the the press person at the school the the school system, and that was it. You know, and then they would go back to wherever their office was and and file if they even came there at all. And you just can't. One of the things that I think a lot of journalists in this journal, this generation, don't realize is that you can't. You can't just, um, you know, make one phone call and then fill in the rest with with, with links. It doesn't work that way because you 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 will you will miss that there will be surprising <laughs> answers to to assumptions that you made that are that are incorrect and that. And that that speaks to the the issue with um, the arrest of this guy Scott Smith. Uh, almost everybody who covered that assumed that this was an unruly Trump supporting guy who just got in an argument after the the, the hearing. Um, but be, because you're not asking questions, you don't find out that it's something totally unrelated. Uh, and and. And so that's that's just that's just a problem with journalism in general. It's not you know re- restricted to education. It's it's true the courts. <laughs> no, we yeah, no, about but I mean, for a bit. <laughs> there's nobody covering the state house. There's nobody covering the courts. Like you know, it, we just don't have people who have beats anymore, and and that results in you know a lot of these generalizations. And I think I think that's a, that's a major problem, but. Uh, yeah, just uh, just quick. Uh, I had a similar experience when I was in J school. I had to cover the Long Beach City Council, mm. so like I totally remember <laughs> what you're talking. Oh, it's about. like agonizingly <laughs> boring, right? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. But um, I mean, that's what people should really reflect on that that these are the people, and and in Illinois, like the school board members can't be paid even. So in Illinois, every year, the week before Thanksgiving, there's what's called the Tri-I Conference, which is a conference between the Illinois Association of School Boards, Illinois Association of School Administrators, and the Illinois Association of School Business Managers. They take over the three biggest hotels in downtown Chicago, and all that happens is whining and dining and getting these school board members to do what they want. So to the one person I called earlier about running for the board, I'm all for that. That's why I ran for the board. Our school district was being run into the ground. I had a slate of people that ran, but go into it with good intentions that this is what you want to do because it's an important job and you should want to do it. And unfortunately, they have way more power than most villages or cities have in most towns. And in Loudoun, you're talking about a countywide you know, control of something. I can't imagine how many millions of dollars they have at their disposal. Billions. Nobody yeah. gives a shit about this stuff. They only care about what they think is important, which is the president, which at the end of the day probably has like the least effect on them as what their local school board does on a regular basis. So thanks, man. It was a great piece. I loved it. I love seeing somebody dive into a school board manner. The jazz hand thing had me laughing. Host and stare. <laughs> so, Excellent. Thanks. thanks guy. I really appreciate it. Um, all right, let's do, let's do a few more. Uh, I think Alan's next. Hey, um, I, if it's okay with you, I'd like to ask two two questions that sure. neither one should require too long of an answer. That's up to you, though. First <laughs> question, what was the most surprising thing 
that you uncovered in the course of your Oh, well, okay. So the, the, that, the easy answer to that is that I, the whole, um, you know, the, the, the overweening, um, you know, issue of the Asian dominance of gifted admissions being the trigger for the whole thing. Uh, I, I guess I could have guessed that, but, but it, it was amazing for me that the, when I f- first started talking to people, that was the first thing they started mentioning was in order to understand this, you have to go back to 2018 uh, or 2017 and, and look and look at the whole TJ admissions uh, controversies. So what's amazing for me in that is that you go, go back and look, you will not find it mentioned in any one of the national accounts of uh of, of of this story so that that was that was kind of a mind blower for me that that such a significant part of the story could be so totally left out got it yeah that is interesting and it echoes what's going on in san francisco um in their school district uh, in, in recent years as well is it true um, but, mm-hmm. yeah that's yeah worth worth looking into that if you're curious about this kind of stuff because they also have like one of the best high schools in the nation. And then it's been dramatically undercut by exactly similar things like trying to limit merit as, as a, actually successfully they're eliminating merit as um, the qualified or get into that school. Um, and, and similarly, it's dr- disproportionately affecting um, Asian Americans. Um, right. Anyway, uh, second question. I, obviously the mainstream media got the narrative wrong as they're, as they do on so many of these hot button issues, um, or hot button story, what you know, all those um, potent stories. Um, but my question is, in terms of, how, I don't know if you're if you if you t- um, took that close of a look, but did the right wing media get anything super wrong in the course of their coverage of this story? As uh, that's a good question. There, there were definitely errors. I would say like, um, and you know, uh, Jesse single talked about this. Uh, if you know, if you're familiar with the podcast blocked and reported, uh, he's a reporter who's, um, uh, who's been in a number of different publications. Um, and he went and looked at, uh, at Loudon a little bit after the daily wire did a big story. Um, and did really what every journalist should have done after uh, the news broke that there had been um, an accusation of sexual assault in, uh, uh, you know, in the case of that, that father, Scott Smith, and he went and obtained the, the police records of what happened. So the Daily Wire reported that, um, that, you know, the, the father had been told that they were going to handle this in-house and they kind of implied basically that the school wasn't taking his complaint seriously. Uh, and, you know, what it, what it turned out, and, th- and this happens sometimes, I think what, what, what really happened was that the school said that, but what, what their procedure was, you know, let's, we're going to have our, I forget what the title is. It's something like a, a school, like a, 
something official that there, there's some there's some title who who actually has a law enforcement title in the county. Is that um, maybe a school resource? So, yeah, school resource officer. Yeah, that's right. And so uh, it actually is a process of turning it over to the police by by go by going to uh, that person. So they got that a little bit wrong, and then, you know, then there were some things about like George Soros funding some of the people involved, and um, I didn't look at a lot of that, but um, it felt like a little bit of uh, that it wasn't terribly relevant to the story. It didn't seem to me um, they focused a, a lot on the CRT aspect of it. Uh, which is which I which I get. I, I think it fires up their their audience, um, but I also think they just sort of missed a lot of things that were, um, you know, that would have been uh, interesting to everybody, right? Like, you know, the the sort of question of like, um, of, you know, gifted admissions uh, and. You know the 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 the, the, the conflicts between the different demographics in the region, the wealth disparity. Like they they just didn't really go into a whole lot of that, and they just spent an awful lot of time on CRT, race, and it was sort of an inverse of what the Washington Post was doing. The all the the only thing was they were they were just more correct uh, ultimately about what was going on. Um, but they, I don't know. I, my tendency with stories like this is just to be more more attracted to uh, the kind of sense of absurdity and try try to get to the heart of of that. And and they what they were really driven by it felt like uh, you know on Fox and, and some of these places was you know how how can we rile up our audience um, because there was the, you know there were some problems in in, in Latin that I think they, they didn't uh, address, right? Like there, you know, there, there is a problem of people being abusive in these schools. Um, that's not totally imaginary, you know? Um, so that's the only thing I would say, but they're minor criticisms, you know? I mean, the, 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 the much worse performance uh, in my mind was on the other side. Yeah, makes sense. All right. Well, thank you so much for. Uh, what... <laughs> thanks a lot, Alan. All right. Let's go to uh, Bill, if he's still here. And thanks, everybody, for hanging in for so long. Bill, are you there? No. All right. Let's try Lee. Lee, are you there? Hello. Hello. Matt. Yes, um, hi. I, I'm the, the president of your fan club and have been for <laughs> many, 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 many years. I My book group that I started 40 years ago, I've been trying to get your books read for all those years. Finally, <laughs> we did Hate Inc. last month. Oh, excellent. And, uh, it was it was um, a prickly situation. I mean, it's a bunch of very educated folks, but, and we're, but we're still together after all these decades. And my point is just, it's a little bit of a, 
an example of the many things you're up against. I worry about your security, frankly. <laughs> I mean, I'm, no. I'm, I'm in Portland. Um, and so obviously I am acquainted with what's going on with Brett and Heather and all of that. And this is a crazy place. The D's and the R's don't represent 99% of the people, as we all know. Mm-hmm. And we need you. I mean, there are no, you know, Glenn does a great job. And But when I heard... Um, Joe say to you, come back anytime. I mean, he doesn't say that to many guests. Oh, I, yeah. I hope you will do that just partly for the security. I mean, and to have more mainstream audience hear you because my old friends in this book group who, you know, you would find them to be pretty self-aware. They still, it doesn't matter. There are mental health issues that you're dealing with, obviously among the leadership, whether it's the series we're supposed to be talking about right now that you just wrote. That's of course magnificent, but um, that the white collar leadership, you know, that it's only people who have, you know, are a little bit disordered who would strive for these, you know, whether it's that like the other mother of five, I'm mother of four adults, the mother of five, I agreed with everything she said, these school board things, it's heavy on the people using it as a stepping stone for, you know, to be good. I mean, we have, what do you think of Nicholas Kristoff, for example, he's running for governor out here. Um, I mean, he's okay. He's, he's, I, I, I'm not a huge fan. of Right. Know. Right. I mean, I I think I I have a I'm a, I'm a pretty tough critic when it comes to columnists and uh, right. Yeah. Well, we all are. Yeah. It's it's what do we do about the times? I mean, it's amazing. The the tribalism is how I see it. That the fear people are so afraid of not following those narratives. Well, so what do we do about it? What's what's yeah? What's so interesting about what's happened that? let's just say like the, the op-ed page at the times um, is that, you know, for the longest time in American journalism, I would say that they had all sorts of problems, but they, there was always a, a um, internally some kind of appreciation for the craft, right? So whether we're talking about the business of reporting and uh, somebody like Cy Hirsch, who's just really, really good at developing sources and, and knows how to do that. Uh, when it, when it came to columnists, um, you know, the, the trick there is voice and style. Um, that's what being a columnist is all about, right? Like you, you you're, you're trying to uh, connect with people on a fundamental level. And, and it used to be standard that in basically every market, there would be somebody who um, had like a working class sensibility or a background uh, who, who wrote in like the vernacular of, of kind of an or, or ordinary person. And those people have disappeared. The people who used to write with humor, the, you know, like Art Buckwald or Dave Barry, whatever you think of those people, um, they're all gone. There are no humorists anymore. They're, yeah. Well, exactly. Yeah, that's just kind of my point is you are in a class by yourself. I mean, I'm glad you're pals with, you know, people like Glenn and a few other folks, uh, Crystal Ball and those folks who are trying to be independent voices. But if you can't, we need to figure out a way for there to be a powerful tribe. And in addition to what you just said about, 
voice and style. I mean, I hate to sound, because I'm not that old-fashioned, but character matters. You know, it, you, you, you have character. I mean, I'm not just blowing smoke here. I'm just saying it comes through. You clearly are best friends with your wife, for example. <laughs> and she clearly is an educated adult and you clearly are devoted parents. These are conservative values that those of us, I mean, you know, I'm, I come from, I grew up in the Marine Corps. Daddy's highly decorated from Korea and Vietnam, but he's also to the left of every one of us on this call right now. I mean, he's, and there are a lot of people like that. You know, right. my, my friend here, uh, Tony McPeak, who was former chief of staff of the Air Force, he would talk to, we were on some boards together in town over the decades, and he would say, you know, I'm alone with Obama a lot. He won't listen to me. You know, mm. he, he, we don't, we need, this was obviously years ago now, but we, we need to be out of Afghanistan is what he would say. He voted for Bert, one of the last times I talked to him, he and his wife are in a retirement home now, but, you know, he was a fighter pilot and, you know, on and on and on. He, he, he voted for Bernie or he, mm-hmm. he wanted to, you know, and so did basically. I mean, he, he was, um, working with Bush originally, then he became, instead of a Republican, a Democrat, was co-campaign chair for Obama and got disillusioned with both. Were, you know, people like Daniel Ellsberg, I'm glad you've put, you know, stuck your neck out to speak up for Assange too, who was so, so many people's hero. And then here I have educated friends. Everybody drinks the Kool-Aid on a lot of this stuff because it's in the times and they don't want to be kicked out of their friend group. It's like, right junior high yeah yeah no uh well thank you for saying that that's really kind um what I, well what, I mean, i'm sincere that's why i really i'm just excuse me for being so you know eager but i mean really i want you to feel encouraged in the ways that help you and i know you need sleep and i know you, <laughs> your kids need attention and i think about that all the time because you're you're not you're, you've not gotten pulled to the dark side. And Glenn d- does that too, but he, he is more prickly. You know, there, it's your humility that comes through that's helping you g- succeed on Substack. But even Sam Harris, daggone him. You know, I, I loved his book when it came out after 9-11, but he's so fussy. And he, uh, he called this Substackistan, you know. <laughs> There's no way to see you talking with him. And he's, he's pals with friends of Kissinger, you know, who I, you know, I'm of the era where I just see him as an evil war criminal. Right. Yes. I think that's uh, anybody, anybody who remembers him should think that way. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. Um, Thank you. Well, what, what, what I would say about that, um, and it's interesting because uh, I, I think I think what you're talking about is another endemic problem of of journalism, which is you know that they think that a lot of young journalists are of the um, opinion that there's a shortcut to building trust with audiences, like that you know because I work for the New York Times, I have authority. Uh, and people will believe the things that I say or because I work for whatever organization. Whereas, you know, the, the kind of old school approach is you, you have to have a long track record of, you know, uh, being believable. You know, if you, if you tell people something is true, it has to turn out that way. If you, if you make a mistake, you got to admit it. Um, you know, all those things. 
And, you know, I, I think that's that relationship, that idea of building a relationship with audiences um, and developing trust over time has, has kind of evaporated now. Uh, it's yeah. Well, it's, 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 I hope not. Yeah. Yeah. I would like to think we could be a tribe, but with some power somehow, I don't know how yet, but before it's too late. Well, who knows? (laughs) But yeah, Yeah. no, but do, do feel, I mean, I want you to be encouraged you know, I was upset with what's his name was giving you grief on his show the other day um, when you, you know, were there, in, you know, with goodwill and willing to talk with him. Bill Mars, who I'm trying to think Oh, of. right. Yes, you know, yeah. he, was, he decided to be a jerk that night. And what a waste, because there you have some of those New York Times people, you know, listening and they didn't have a chance to hear. Instead, you took the high road and you did, he didn't get to, you know, he just wanted to be prickly but you know it was not helpful that's there's he used to be one of the few people who at least would listen to some other people every once in a while even though he was he does and uh, and, you know you know he he he, like he was in a mood that night i've i i I yeah uh you know i that that was a an, an odd night not not a lot of fun for me but um but I'm not a I'm not a TV professional, so yeah. uh, you know that that happens. So, well, but he's 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 all right. I'm just you trying know, to he's, think of ways because I can't even send your Substack articles. You know, it's hard. I mean, I guess I could. Vote well, I'm gonna and, I, I might unlock this series. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask subscribers if they think that's okay. Thank you. So, um, well, it is with me. I mean, I just because the people I want your be- seems like your best advertising, and then I'll be quiet. Is um, to let some of us share with people who can afford to do it, who w- wouldn't give another thought if they realized that you know because some people still don't even realize that Rolling Stone is mainstream. They think <laughs> you're the guy. You know, I have friends who knew you back in Boston. My friend who went to MIT and all that. And so I said, no, he's not. He's grown up now. <laughs> you know, like he's. <laughs> <laughs> right not just because they probably remember you from back when you were you know just local there, more, of, but, more of a bomb tosser yeah i got it <laughs> well whatever you had to do to get started in your career yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well thank i appreciate you. it Leah. Thank uh, yeah thanks th- thanks so much and um and uh I, I appreciate your coming on coming coming by well and i would just i just wanted to say one more thing just if you could it's it's got to be hurtful when these people who listen to Rachel Maddow just totally have drunk the Kool-Aid that you you're, you're pushing back. You, I hope you'll keep pushing back because you're, you're a gentleman when you do it, you do it diplomatically, but you still use your brand of humor that is, is so appealing. And I just don't want them to, to have you given up because I know it's a pain. No, 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 no. I'm doing, I'm I'm doing just fine. Everything's, everything's great. Great. Glad to hear that. Not 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 going to be dissuaded. All right. Thanks a lot, Lee. Take care. Thank you, you, Lee. And um, just a couple more. Let's, let's, let's go to uh, Linda. If she's still here. Linda, are you there? You have to unmute if you're still there. No? Okay. Let's try Craig. Craig, are you there? Hey, Matt. How are you? Hey, I'm sorry. I think I had. I think you were in line before, and I, I get, get – yeah. Oh, we're old men, Matt. We need our children to teach us how to do this stuff. <laughs> 
Uh, too true. Yes. Uh, first time, long time. Uh, I've been I've been on your on your uh, on your beat since uh, wait when you were with Imus. Oh wow. Okay. Uh, so and I I thought who was this kid talking about the financial crisis? <laughs> And yeah, I guess I made me a kid too because I'm not much younger than you. Yeah. <laughs> He's uh, um, yeah, he was fun. Yeah, yeah, those those shows were fun. No, I, that was he really. I mean, I that was really really on stage with him, and I really appreciate that. Anyhow, um, I have two questions. First is, do you do you take uh, ideas for articles or, or coverage for TK News? Yeah, sure, absolutely. I don't know how to get in touch with you. It's the problem I've been having. Oh, um, uh, it's, uh, let's see, taibi at substack.com. Okay, so I, I can email that mm-hmm. address? Yep. Okay, I didn't know that. I didn't realize that, Matt. Mm-hmm. I, again, my children teach me this stuff. Yeah, uh, and, and, so, and, so, and, and put uh, put uh, attention Emily in, in the uh, in the subject line. So my, my, assistant, my assistant sees it. Yeah. I will do that. Thanks, man. I mm-hmm. appreciate it. Uh, set my my, my my question that's similar so related to this Loudoun County stuff is uh, you had the article about the third party necessary to, I guess, dethrone corporatism. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, I agree with that when it when it came out. But then I see Andrew Yang come along with freedom, and I actually did read his book. I'm curious whether or not you're going to ever have a dialogue with him about your about that because I do think that's a possibility. Mm-hmm. At least, at least that's the only quick way I could see to fixing some of the ills we have right now with with uh, with federal government, and I think that would trickle down to state government because we we just tonight I'm talking I hear you guys talking about how how messed up the school boards are, and all I've been hearing from people who are upset about the national uh, positions, I hear I hear the people who are on the on the positive, optimistic side of things saying, well, locally you could do more. Mm-hmm. Obviously, obviously, we're failing locally too, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that's a good question. I think. Um, I, I mean, my my feeling has been, and it's funny because I I covered campaigns like uh, Ron Paul and Dennis Kucinich back in the day when the idea of a quote unquote third party candidate winning seemed just completely ridiculous. It's, it seemed impossible. But um, right now, if somebody if somebody in 2020 had run uh, who was not Joe Biden and not Donald Trump, and their entire policy was, I am not taking corporate money. I don't have any positions on anything. My only my only platform is I'm not taking the money that person would have won the election. I'm convinced of it. Um, and, you know, I've, I've talked to people like Bernie Sanders about the decision not, you know, about whether or not to remain independent and, and run as a Democrat. Now, Bernie happened to have very fond feelings about um, the Democratic Party. He grew up in it. He thinks it's worth saving. He thinks that it can be reformed. Um, but he's another person who I think... I mean, it's questionable, but if he had run as a, as a third party person, um, what's interesting about his campaign in 2020 is that, uh, he proved that you, you can not take corporate money and still be the leading fundraiser in the race 
So, it, so the idea, because because the the argument was always uh, previously that uh, there's no way to win uh, an election in America without taking money from uh, Goldman Sachs and J.P. Morgan Chase and Calpers and BlackRock and all these people. What are uh, well, the reality is you can, uh, and so I, I I do think that that would. Um, that would work. It would, it would require a lot of organization and exactly the right, um, you know, message. Uh, but it's, it's certainly a possibility. My, my, my question though is whether it would ever, whether it would be allowed. And I don't mean that in a conspiratorial way. I just mean that they would throw every conceivable trick, um, at anybody who was even a plausible candidate. We, we saw what they did, uh to sanders now they they were not able to stop trump uh from winning um even out uh, but he had the imprimatur of the republican party so uh i don't know i mean it but i uh, i know andrew yang a little bit um he's he's interesting and and um i think he's i think he's on to something uh but uh you know he didn't win the the, the mayoral race and um, that that showed some um, that well he might have he might have done better in a different kind of race so that that's not necessarily representative. I yeah. I, I never expected I I grew up in the tri-state area I know that city elections who really it doesn't matter who you are really I mean it's it doesn't matter how big your name is and that, and that's and that's near except when you're Bloomberg and you can pay for everything. right well that's true too yeah yeah exactly so but I mean yeah um, anyhow I. I'll get, I'll get off stage now, but thank you so much for taking my call. And no, no problem. Th- 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 thanks very much, Craig. Uh, all right, I've been on for a while. Think of, goodbye, Craig. Thank you. Uh, one more. Uh, it's been almost a, an hour and a half now, so um, uh, I'll let everybody get back to their lives, but uh, let's see if Josh is, is there. Josh, are you there? No? Okay. How about Jay? Hey, you got me? Yep, we got you. Cool. Hopefully I'll end on a high note. Um, yeah, hopefully. <laughs> so um, more of a comment and see if you agree with me on the question, but um, kind of in full Jin Saki fashion, circle back. Um, <laughs> uh, That's such a funny expression. I'm sorry. I know, right? And <laughs> It's kind of an earworm too, because I found myself <laughs> saying it more after the memes. But um, going back to the Joe Rogan appearance, um, I didn't ever hear it so succinctly. And I, you know, having read Hate Inc., I should know better. But um, you were talking about the sort of canonization of George Floyd and the indictment writ large of criminal justice system um, instead of just Derek Chauvin's a bad actor. Um, and that sort of whole Trump derangement syndrome, like if uh, the president's bad, then the whole thing must be corrupt or, or however you would like to put it. But um, I didn't um, hear it put so succinctly. That's why everybody lost their minds last year um, because of the, the media saw it in these sort of um, binaries. And so, I wonder if you see that playing out in Loudon um, mm-hmm. as well, because it 
seem to be the same, same playbook, the same, like same derangement, I guess. Um, and I'm, you know, like my grandfather's from Leesburg. I'm very familiar. I grew up in Atlanta, but I'm very familiar with the area up there. And those, those people are not, uh, I don't know how they were portrayed, I guess. Raving Trumpists. Yeah. Or, or, you know, how they're portrayed in the, the New York times or right. whatever media outlet it is. So, um, yeah, yeah, that's a great question. And, uh, and a good place to, to kind of end on. So, you know, basically the, the modern strategy of, of commercial media is let's find a narrative that we know, um, is is going to agitate our audience and and bring them back, and let's just just let's just hammer it until there's nothing left to work with uh, with that particular story. It it's a complete op, completely opposite to what the approach used to be, where the assumption always was, whatever your first blush um, impression of a story is, once you start digging down into the particulars. It always turns out like inevitably it's just not it's it's not possible for it to be otherwise. It always turns out to be a multifaceted, complicated, idiosyncratic story about um, about a number of people behaving for a variety of different reasons, often across purposes. Uh, and you know the 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 event that becomes news for whatever reason. Um, you know the the social explosion that results uh always is uh the result of you know a variety of causes that you have to really really work hard at identifying um and it's never one thing and that's and, and, and the whole point of journalism is on you know on day 1 you say what happened uh you you tell people who the primary actors are uh you do the best you can at guessing what the major themes are. And then on day two, you start to dig in and talk to people and, and find out what's really going on is, is the politician who's involved, um, you know, acting out because this person has political ambitions is, uh, you know, is there a plan um, uh, to have this person who's now on the school board, uh, move in and become a candidate for uh, a soon-to-be vacated congressional seat, which I think might have been a factor in the Loudon story, for instance. With the with the Garner case, um, you know, all, all all police brutality stories are are, are always complex uh, because uh, there, there's always a million things going on. No, no no one case is like another. There are some commonalities. Um, and those things are certainly worth exploring and in many cases denouncing, but you have to get to the bottom of every single individual story. And you, and when you move on to the next one, you have to completely erase your mind and assume that you're starting from, from scratch and not just building on what you learned before, because it always has to be new. And that's, and that's what I think the problem with both the George Floyd story and and the Loudon story was, is that you, you see this phenomenon of reporters sort of settling on um, 
a take on day one and then they just don't deviate they're like they don't learn more and uh and and make the story more complicated and therefore more interesting um you know when you read a novel a good novel anyway on page one you're introduced to the characters but the, the story gets uh, more complicated from there right like the whole the whole point is that they want you to expand your mental horizons and 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 start considering different things and that that's what makes uh any story interesting the the tendency in the in modern media is to do exactly the opposite let's let's just tell you on page one who the characters are and let, let's just re- repeat the same you know confrontation over and over and over again it's just not a good reflection of reality it ne- it's never true um and so i'm sorry to go off on that uh but it, it's a it's a particular frustration of mine because uh that to me is the interesting part of journalism is is when you get to a place and you start digging digging in and you find you find out that there's all these weird reasons for things that happen that are peculiar to that particular situation and that's the fun part and it seems like it seems like that's where um you know a lot of a lot of modern journalists they're just not having they're not having fun with the job which i don't get if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, it does, and it <laughs> and it fits their revenue stream too, right? So. Right, right. But but all the money. Really, are you gonna? I mean, are, are you gonna do that? That boring approach to the job year after year after year? I mean, my God, like just I, I don't know. <laughs> I just I, I don't I, I don't get that. You know what I mean? So yeah, yep. anyway, all right. All right. Well, thanks for thank the you. question, Jay. I really appreciate it, and uh, thank you everybody for coming. To we had a lot of people here tonight, which is so cool. Um, I'm going to be doing more of these. I, I, I didn't do so many uh, recently because mainly because I was writing this series, but um, you know, especially after the holidays, I'm going, to, I'm going to be probably doing these at least once a week and, and sometimes more often. So thanks so much. And um, I, I will talk to you all again soon. All right. Take care. Thanks, Matt. All right. Bye.